Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Word Processing. This is Josiah, and I'm sitting here as usual, six feet away from Andrew. Andrew is joining me again after abandoning me last week, so I had to phone a friend, but now the A-team is back together. and That is not the way that I remember that conversation going, but... Uh, well, perception is reality, I guess, so... I mean, even the way you just phrased that, you said, as usual, sitting six feet apart. We haven't been in the same room recording the podcast for a while, so uh, check your story, Josiah. That is true. This is true. I stand corrected. <laughs> I repent of that. I'm sorry. Well, this past Sunday, Andrew, uh, you brought us a, a message from Second John, and we want to go back through and kind of review that and, and dig into the application a little bit. And as you mentioned in the sermon, it is the first message in the new summer series we're working through here at Oak Ridge called Biblical Postcards, in which we're looking at some of the shortest books. And and because they're short, they're often overlooked or, or bypassed, I guess. And or wanna... even just rushed through, I think. Like, I think I might not skip it, but I'll read it really quickly and just be like, okay, I'm done with this now and, and not take the time to chew on it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I think I've fallen victim to, it's so short, what it contains must be said elsewhere. So if I just read the Gospels, it will probably encompass everything that Jude says or, or 1 John or whatever. Well, and I found that even when studying Second John, that, you know, you read books, you read commentaries on it, and the thing that you most often read about is how similar Second John is to Third John. Well, and that's not really helpful when you're trying to preach a book of the Bible and you know you're going to be, someone's going to be preaching the other one later to focus on how similar they are, but rather how different they are and, and what is this unique text saying that isn't said elsewhere in scripture you know the holy spirit included it for a reason and and what is that Mm -hmm. yeah there's no redundancy there and it'll be interesting because directly following this recording uh the next sermon in the series that's planned lord willing is third john and so we will see them back to back and Mm -hmm. and we will see the differences and the distinctions and hopefully why the holy spirit included both and not just one that's right i forgot we were doing the back to back now there's a schedule swap at one point i was uh, i forgot yeah they're gonna be in a row and so we'll see that you know these books while similar are unique writings in the canon of scripture mm-hmm. so really the series is uh combating the misconception that brevity means insignificance mm-hmm. that they are short but as you said on sunday they are punchy mm-hmm. and there's some weighty truths in the in them that we need to grapple with as believers and so i want to give you a chance to kind of overview what you talked about on sunday you outlined the letter in a really helpful and, and simple way i thought uh who what why and apply so this is how john laid out the letter and so I wonder if you could just give us a, a brief review of what the letter is about and, and quickly walk us back through those four headings and, and flesh them out a touch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the who is quite simple. Um, we decided that the who is John the Apostle, the same John who wrote uh, the Gospel of John, the books of First and Second John, and, and the book of Revelation. It's John the Apostle, and he's writing a letter to a church, a local church um, somewhere in uh, that region at the time, writing a letter to them, uh, to the church as a whole, but also to its members. Uh, and it's possible, you know, as we study this text, that it was for one specific church or perhaps even to be passed around uh, to several local churches. And and we'll get into that, I guess, with the why. Um, so I'll jump out of order here and say the why that John's responding to is there's false teachers abroad. There's a group that has most likely split off from a local church and is starting to preach that Jesus was not God's son. He is not the Christ, not the Messiah. He was just a man, maybe a good man, but Jesus was not the only way to God. 
Um, and so it makes sense that perhaps John would want this circulated to multiple churches who could have these traveling missionaries or deceivers prepared for what might be coming. The what we see in content is that John is putting an emphasis on the idea of truth, uh, love, and, and God's commands and being obedient to them, and understanding that there is a truth, there is a biblical definition of love, and they are both encapsulated in what it means to follow God's commands. Um, those are not open, open for interpretation. Um, and then again, that's really important in the world where false teachers could be coming. Um, and the apply is really just to be on guard, to, to watch out, to be aware that this problem existed then and it exists now, that there are people that are you know, peddling a gospel that is false, um, that does not involve Jesus as the Christ, and we need to be wary of what sort of teaching we're allowing in our churches, for sure, but even into our own lives and our understanding. What voices are we listening to and where are we perhaps leaving a risky door open for corruption in the gospel we are trying to preach? And you just mentioned it here, but and you also highlighted it on Sunday. There are three words that John uses with great emphasis. Mm-hmm. And he repeats them over and over again in this short epistle. Truth, love, and commands. And you mentioned that there are times today just like when John first wrote this letter, when the world around us defines these three terms differently than we as Bible-believing Christians should. Maybe you can take a minute to contrast for us John's understanding of truth, love, and commands with maybe versions of these three things or imposters of these three things we are sometimes faced with today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when it comes to truth, the biggest imposter is just the idea that truth is relative. And that's not a new statement at all. I mean, people in the church have been talking about this for years. You've heard it on other sermons and podcasts, I'm sure. But that would be the biggest imposter in our world. That truth is about your life, your experience, your feelings, how you interpret it, um, all under the guise of, you know, I'm living my truth. This is what I want. Um, That's a truth. It might be. Uh, your truth, that's good. Find your truth, Andrew. And it doesn't, well, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that what you are saying is not does not hold some semblance of truth or is not true to you. If I say what you just said hurt me, that is a form of truth for me. I know in my feelings that what you said hurt my feelings, but it doesn't make it a true statement that what you said was necessarily hurtful, um, to give a, a probably a poor example. But the Bible's definition of truth is that truth is objective. There is truth. Truth is defined by God. As I said in the message, characterized by a God who is himself truth. Jesus is defined as the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is defined as the spirit of truth. We're talking about a God who cannot lie. And so it is not open for interpretation. And we got to remember that when it comes to scripture, that scripture is not just about let's read this book and see what feels good to me or what sticks out or what I'm excited by. But there is a purpose and a truth to what the author, the the divine and the human author of each text is trying to get across. And that's what we're trying to accomplish when we preach is, is discovering the truth of Second John. So where an understanding of the character of scripture is helpful hmm. as well. You rightly said that God is truth. But we're also told that he who is truth breathed out scripture. And so it carries that same characteristic as well. And you mentioned in your sermon the word infallible, that it is unable to uh, tell a lie. Mm-hmm. That it, it speaks the truth necessarily because of its characteristic. And 
And so you've talked about this, this idea of truth and how obviously authority and command is wrapped up there as well. What about love? Yeah, I mean, love, I'd say the biggest enemy of, of love right now is to phrase love as just tolerance. You know, if you don't do what the culture wants you to do and you don't accept this person or you don't praise them or you don't encourage them, many of the things that I talked about with regards to what John said about these false teachers is, you know, don't, when he says, don't let them into your house, it wasn't necessarily just about hospitality, but it's like, don't encourage them. Don't give them a foothold. Don't financially support them. You know, so when it comes to love, it's this idea, our culture says that you are not being loving unless you support this cause or you encourage this person or you, whatever. And again, that flies in contrast to the truth, which we talked about on Sunday, that it is not loving to not speak the truth. There are times in our life where, sure, it might not be the most loving thing to speak everything that comes to our mind, you know? I, I can see the way you're looking at me now. You think my hair looks ridiculous, and you're just going to keep it inside, inside because that wouldn't be super loving to tell me how awful my hair I looks. I was going to speak truth offline, though. Yes, yeah. offline. Um, but again, love does not mean that we are just making people feel better. Love is not telling people what they want to hear, and love is definitely not encouraging someone and allowing this charade that suggests that truth is just whatever we want to make it. That is not a loving experience. The Bible, however, tells us what love is. Love is that God sent his son who sacrificed himself for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, as I mentioned on Sunday, read 1 Corinthians 13. It's our go-to passage on this. Biblical love, uh, the word agape, right? It is sacrificial. It is um, there is no greater love than this than mm-hmm. who lays down his life for a friend. Exactly. And so it's not just about making people feel better at all. It's about willingly giving up of yourself for someone else. Mm-hmm. And we've harped on, you know, truth and love. And I don't want to leave out commands, that third mm-hmm. uh, word that, that John really leans into. And I know it it's wrapped up in truth and love, but maybe you want to comment on how uh, the Bible calls us to think about commands and authority versus how the world we're living in does. Yeah, for sure. And I think where my mind goes with this is, is kind of what I said on Sunday. So it might be a bit of a rehash, but the biggest contrast here for me is when the world who does not know the Bible, does not know our God, and does not even try to um, to know those things, tries to tell us as Christians what it means to be a Christian. It does not take very long to browse through social media, browse through blog posts, browse through news articles to see that everybody and their cousin has an opinion on what a Christian's life should look like, despite the fact that they may not have stepped inside a church ever um, or read the Bible ever. You know, they've read a couple posts and now they're the expert. Um, And I think that is the biggest contrast for me is that our understanding as believers of what it means to follow God's commands come from the words of scripture that we are seeking to to live and to read and to breathe and to engage with rather than coming from so-called experts or people who um, are sitting on the sidelines trying to tell us what that means. Yeah. And if this episode sounds polemic at all, it's because... I mean, Second John is fairly polemic, isn't it? I mean, there's no choice here. It's it's short, but it is punchy. There is a a threat mm-hmm. to the church that John explicitly says he loves, and so he reminds them of these things. He says, "Be aware, because I love you too much." He's speaking truth, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. I love you too much to leave you to your own devices. I need to warn you mm-hmm. that falsehood is creeping in, and it can undermine. 
biblical truth and, and God's truth. And I'll be honest, as someone who, you know, studying the Bible is part of my job, like this is my livelihood, I find it really frustrating or a pet peeve of mine when I go on social media and I see, you know, Facebook friends of mine who have no qualms about it. They do not claim to be a Christian and yet they are posting these big new revelations about what it really means in this part of the Bible or this plague didn't actually happen or what Jesus actually meant about this thing as though they've come to this big revelation of what it means for a Christian to be a Christian when they aren't even trying to be a Christian. And I sit back and, you know, I just say, you know, it's not worth me engaging with this in the social media public platform right now, but it is frustrating to think that this person thinks they know how to do my job better than I do. You're jumping ahead of me in my questions. Yeah, sorry. We'll come back to that later. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, you close your sermon on Sunday. Now that we've talked about kind of the, the meat of those three words and the emphases of John, you close the sermon on Sunday with an invitation to application uh, for God's people. And I so appreciate that. Uh, you help us think through how to put the eternal truth of John's second letter into action, into shoe leather. Uh, and I want to walk through those three tasks that you suggested and talk with you about how they might look when we make them actionable. So first you said surrender to God's authority. So my question to that is, how do I not do this? I mean, what gets in the way of me surrendering to God's authority? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's anything, any source of authority that isn't God. It's not always wrong, and I want to make this really clear, it's not always wrong or bad to look to other sources. Um, in fact, that can be really good. In fact, you are listening to this podcast now. I am not God. You listen to me preach. I am not God. These can be good resources, and hopefully they're helpful to you. But the problem becomes when that is our only authority or that is our primary authority. If I'm browsing around online or or watching the news and I see X social issue, which is going on in our world, and my first response is to go and just look up what did this pastor say about that, this this big name pastor, or what are my friends saying about this, or what does this news article say about this, and I'm looking to all these other sources for my foundation, I'm missing out on the point and I'm missing out a huge opportunity to, and I'm basically suggesting that I don't think scripture is actually relevant to my life. I'm suggesting that other people in my life that I've surrounded myself are more relevant to the truth of the world that is going on right now than God's breathed out word. And I think that's a huge risk and a huge issue um, for us to be able to try and walk forward with any kind of biblical worldview if our instinct is to go somewhere else for truth. Mm-hmm. So I've thought about it in this way before. Tell me if this is um, in line with what you're saying, that we all as people, every single one of us, has a final authority Mm -hmm. at which the buck stops. We may not know exactly what it is. We may have never thought about that before. We may not have identified it, but all of us do. Whether it's our parents, whether it's our friends, whether it's uh, science, whether it's Usually ourselves. Yep. Typically, we are our own final authority, whether we recognize it or not. Oh, it's our feelings. I mean, we've talked about that today. It's it's what makes me feel the best. And I've been victim of that when it comes to my own theological beliefs, even, of like, oh, there's two people arguing about these two points. Well, this one's easier to believe or feels better. So I'm sure. going to go with that. And this is a battle for all of us. Yeah. The, the This battle of worldviews or lenses through mm-hmm. which we view reality is a battle for everyone to stay consistent. And what, what you're saying is for Christians, for those who have been redeemed, who are saved and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, our worldview, our final authority should be God. And since we serve a God who is not silent but has spoken in his word, then his revealed word becomes the lens through which we view reality. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think 
another huge stumbling block on that is, and again, I'm harping hard on feelings this morning. I don't want people to get the impression that I'm I'm not someone with you feelings. You are callous. <laughs> it's easier for you. I have never been called a robot. <laughs> I wear my emotions on my sleeve probably too much. But again, the reality is, is if scripture is and, and what God says is our final authority, I got to break the news. That's not always going to feel great. There's going to be th- there's things that I read in my Bible that I don't love. I don't like that God calls me to pray for my enemies. I don't like some of the things that the Bible speaks truth into because that's not what our world speaks into. And that feels awkward. And we are called to be set apart. And that's just the reality. And the Bible makes no bones about it. It calls itself the scalpel, the knife. You know, it convicts, rebukes, anything for the training for righteousness. Absolutely. So that's part of its reality. So how do I take steps practically? You said surrender to God's authority. I'm hearing this. I say, I want to do that. I know there's a battle in my mind for, with all these things vying for attention to be my final authority, to be where the buck stops. I I genuinely want it to be God. What can I do? And this probably goes into your second one, fill your minds with truth. That was the second exhortation you gave Mm -hmm. to us. So how do I, uh, you know, battle with all these, wage war with all these authorities? I think a lot of it, and again, I think there's no perfect science to this, but I think a lot of it is comes from our heart posture. So I, I really intentionally said, you know, surrender to God by praying to the God of truth. I think we need do not put a big enough emphasis on prayer um, and actually engaging with the God who is willing to be engaged with. Um, and longs to be. And longs to be and commands us to be. I think prayer has got a really bad rap recently with um, again, this false dichotomy of like, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want your actions as though prayer and thoughts mean nothing. Um, so that's another little side, side trail there. You're very ranty today. Yeah, I'm very ranty, yeah. but I mean, prayer has gotten a bad rap. And I think part of it is the heart posture of saying, you know, and you and I have talked about this in the last couple of weeks with everything going on with COVID, with all the conflict in the States, with the racism, all these big issues that there's times where we just need to submit and get on our knees and say, God, I do not know how to navigate this. Please do not let me think that I am the final authority on this. Let me find in your word what you have to say on this topic because I know you are not silent on it. So as I now pick up your word, please give me inspiration. Help me find what you would have me believe and understand and make it clear to me. It's interesting too. I find that we oftentimes react to situations And it's not necessarily bad, but something happens in the culture or in our lives and we go to scripture, God, what do you say about this? And that's good and well. But sometimes we need to be more preparatory than that. Yeah, proactive. Yeah, Yeah, proactive and say, I'm going to go to the word so regularly that my worldview starts to change and be conformed, you know, by the conform, the, the renewing of your mind, as Paul commands us to do, so that when these situations come up, when the circumstances arrive, when the tragedy hits... I'm more likely to view it through the lens of God's Mm -hmm. revelation rather than reacting and scrambling to find what God says. Both are are necessary and good. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I think sometimes Christians can be guilty of not preparing their worldview and their lenses ahead of time and being more reactionary. Yeah, and I think a mark of a really mature believer, and this is something that I admittedly still struggle with um, and I'm trying to work through and grow in, is that we need to not have something happen and immediately assume that it somehow tears apart our entire faith or entire worldview. Do we really view the Bible that poorly that we think that 
everything that the God of creation, the God of truth, the God of love has given us can be torn apart by a simple internet argument or by a event happening in life. Even if it's a giant event, it is known by God who is sovereign and it is not going to tear apart the truth that he has laid before us. And I think my unfortunate instinct can be one where I say, oh no, what does this mean for my faith or my beliefs? Um, and so it's something I'm working on. And so you guys can all encourage me to grow in that and hold me accountable. <laughs> you're, you're jumping ahead of me again. Okay. Pull the reins in you. So <laughs> the, you have to, one more uh, yes, application. One more, one more point. So you said surrender to God's authority, fill your minds with truth, and then third, praise God. And at first glance, this seems like it doesn't fit. One of these things is not like <laughs> One of these things just doesn't belong. Why is this an important step to praise God? I mean, it's because we're what we're, it's what we're here for. This, this is our call as believers is to praise God. And I think, again, it goes back to that idea of heart position. And it is, I don't want to say impossible. I'm going to say pretty impossible to feel out of our depth or feel overwhelmed um, or confused or, or hurt or overwhelmed by our emotions if we are truly submitting to God in praise and thankfulness for what he has given us. How can you say the Bible isn't good enough for me if you are actively submitting to God in praise and worship and saying, God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to me. It's a heart position. It consciously moves us in a direction. Even if our heads aren't fully there, sometimes, you know, we're talking about feelings. We're talking about our hearts. Sometimes our hearts can help get us there to be able to say, you know, for me, I I love, and I, I quote this all the time, but I love the story of the man who Jesus heals his blindness. And the Pharisees ask him all sorts of questions. Did Jesus sin in doing this? And his response is, whether he sinned or not, I do not know. But what I do know is I was blind and now I see. He doesn't have to know all the answers, but he sits back and says, I don't really know right now, but what I do know is the reality that has happened to me. We have our experiences. We have our life. We have the word of God before us. I might not understand all of it. I might not agree or buy into everything immediately, but it is the truth whether I like it or not. And I trust that God's going to get me there. You know, you have the man who, uh, another man who Jesus helps and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, it shows he is in progress. We are all works in progress, being transformed by the renewal of our hearts and minds by God's spirit. It is a process, and it, part of it is, you know, laying ourselves before him and saying, I might not be there yet, but I worship you anyways, because I know that what you say is true, and you are going to get me there one way or another. Yeah, that's good. Very applicable exhortations that you gave us, especially coming out of uh, Second John. It was great. I hope so. And I, and I know you, you've wanted to go here for a while now in this podcast, so, so let's go there. Um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was true before uh, COVID-19 arrived, but I think it has been accentuated because of it. We live a large part of our lives online today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's where we, uh, that's a natural habitat for a lot of us. I now. mean, you're listening to this podcast online. Right. right. And it's a great thing. Um, but I wonder if you could shepherd us in light of scripture and in particular in light of second John in how to live online with all of these truth claims, all of these, uh, claims for authority and commands and how do we navigate that when we're so plugged in today? And there's, I don't know if there's ever been a time in history when we have so many sources of information coming at us. Shepherd us through that. It's such a big question and a big topic. And, You've and got one, 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> one that you and I have talked about a lot. 
And I don't want to go on a huge rant here. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life and how to, to live your social media. But all I can say is, again, from my own experience, one of the most helpful and freeing and anxiety-reducing things that I have ever done is convince myself that I am never going to convince anyone of anything on Facebook. Um, and again, do with that what you will. Please, I'm not trying to tell you don't go online, don't go on social media. But for me, in my personal life, realizing that arguments that I make on Facebook are not going to change anyone's mind is really important. Because I will see those truth claims. I will see those people who think they know more about my faith than I do, who think they know more about the Bible than I do, even though they haven't even read it. And it frustrates me. And it, it hurts me to my core to see such blatant sin and disregard for the truth of God's word. But I, it's not my job to convince them of anything. And I'm not going to accomplish convincing them of anything in an online medium. Have a conversation with them, sure. And ultimately realize that God is the one who changes hearts and minds and pray for those people. Again, let's put an emphasis on prayer here. I think from a, a wisdom standpoint of shepherding through this, the important thing when it comes to those three things, you know, truth, love, and commands, we need to be a lot more loving in our social media and our online engagements. Again, it, it hurts me when I see Christians publicly tearing down other people and spewing just unkindness at them. Uh, on social media because I don't think that re represents our gospel well. Um, it hurts me, you know, when I see people so blatantly shattered or rocked in their faith by a truth claim that someone's making that is not as great as they think it is. So we need to stop looking at things we see online as immediate truth and as something that is uh, something that can shake the foundation of our faith. Because again, our God is more powerful than that. And we need to give him a little more credit and realize that, um, if we build our foundation in a solid way, it's not going to be torn down by someone who thinks they figured out something new and a new revelation online. It's amazing as I listened to the sermon that you delivered, how mediums may change, but really nothing has changed. Yep. Where John is writing and saying, people are traveling town to town, looking for your ear, claiming a different truth, yep. claiming a different reality of love, claiming a different source of authority. Uh, and they want to take you away. They are anti-Christ, and they want to take you away from the truth. Yeah. And today, we're talking about the same thing, just Absolutely. online, right? We're talking about the same thing. They have more access into you because we are letting them into our house. We are doing exactly what Paul or what John warns us not to do. We are letting them in and giving them the time of day. We are listening and taking seriously what they have to say when we have no obligation to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, for one, like it when you get riled up. So <laughs> in future episodes, I'm going to try to poke the bear more often. But we're out of time now. So until that day comes, we want to thank you all for joining us in this conversation. And our prayer is that it was helpful to you in, in some way. Lord willing, we'll talk to you again next week. And until then, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.